It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Oh, good morning. Thank you for tuning in to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. Sort of been off the radar for a couple of weeks, so if you've tried to listen to shows, um, I normally do shows twice a week, but I was on holiday and uh, took a break. So we're back and we're strong. Um, Today's special guest, Drake Eastburn, is a board-certified hypnotherapist, co-founder of Eastburn Hypnotherapy Center and the Eastburn Institute of Hypnosis. Drake is an author with more than 40 years experience in the field of hypnotism, and he is on a mission to educate people on the reality and impact of hypnosis. As one of the most prolific authors in contemporary hypnotism, Drake has written seven books on the subject. His, book, his books include The Power of the Past, Power Patter, The Therapeutic Hypnotist, The Power of Suggestion, What Every Hypnotist Needs to Know, No, no Time to Waste, Powerful Hypnotic Weight Loss Secrets, and I, don't, I would rather talk to, to Drake and let him tell you all of this. So um, I'm going to bring him on and we can um, continue with beautiful uh, bio. So let's bring him on. Okay. Good morning, Drake. Welcome. Hi, how are you doing? I am doing very well. Okay, so explain to those who are not familiar with hypnotism what exactly this is and why they don't need to be afraid of it. Okay, you know, you start off with a really big question. <laughs> we've, been, we've been trying to answer this uh, since the since, uh, word uh, came into uh, language, so... Well, and, just uh, layman's, a, layman's, layman's terms, you know, just sure, in the basic way. Sure, the, you betcha the, the short and quick version. So, uh, called What is Hypnosis, really, which I explain this a lot, but there's a lot of definitions for hypnosis, and most of them are highly inadequate, but <laughs> we we try to um, we try to make it uh, understandable by the general public. And so uh, hypnosis, at least as we use it in a professional setting, is about easing the client into a uh, state of consciousness where they're more receptive to positive change. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> okay. And, uh, All right. But it underlying it gets a lot more complicated than that because there's a lot of variables. I think one thing that people should understand about hypnosis, though, is it is uh, a normal, it is an altered state of consciousness, but it's also a normal state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I kind of put that term normal in quotes because normal is an elusive little critter there. And what might be normal for one person is not so normal for somebody else. But... Um, uh, it's accessing uh, our consciousness in a way that is, uh, what I want to say, not abnormal, but it's using it in a way that we're not maybe as uh, typically used to. But hypnosis shows up. We, we're using it all the time. I mean, if you pray or you uh, meditate or, you know, if you daydream or uh, even you know, watch TV or if you're reading a book, we're going into these different states of uh, consciousness all the time. People get afraid of these, the term hypnosis because they don't understand it. And when we don't understand things, we tend to fear them. And when we fear them, then we tend to uh, vilify them. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it's really, it's something that we use normally. It's just, and if people understand hypnosis better, then they can put it to use for themselves in a more positive way. It's like how we talk to our subconscious minds. Uh, we're always talking to our subconscious minds, 
but is are we getting it to do the things we want it to? And it's kind of how we talk to that subconscious that we can coax it into doing the things we would like for it to do. That's, okay. that's kind of where our our subconscious comes in because uh, in the hypnosis because um, uh, by changing up our language and addressing the subconscious directly, we can uh, convince it to do things more positive. So why, you know, people are afraid that if they get, yeah, hypnotherapy has gotten a bad rap by these performers who make people cook like chickens and things like that. Uh, And so explain to people why they do not need to fear this. Okay. You know, um, I'm trained in stage hypnosis and I enjoy uh, those things, but it's not always what it appears, you know, um, uh, it looks like a stage hypnotist has control over these people. And that is an illusion they are working to create. And you, you might be sitting in the audience looking at this and you're going, oh, my God, you'd never get me to do that. And that's right. And that's why you're not on stage doing those things. Because stage hypnotists are really good at picking out the sorts of individuals that are going to work out well up there on stage. You know, if, if I'm going to be doing some something with uh, a person on stage, I, I'm going to want the person uh, who is the life of the party, who's the guy that's going to stand in the corner and drink a beer through his nose and things like that. Because when you get types of people up there and you ask them to do crazy things, that's part of who they are. They're going to do those crazy things. But <laughs> introverts out there are going to go, eh, not me, <laughs> and that's true. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that uh, we wouldn't make a good hypnotic subject for other things like, uh, you know, work in a therapist's office or like that. So it's all kind of about how we uh, do these things. And even even the stage hypnotist can't make you do something that you're not willing to do. And I've seen that happen over and over in shows where a stage hypnotist tried to get somebody to do something and they refused to do it. And it's more the stage hypnotist's job to incorporate those things into the show. You know, it's like they make, well, where did that come from or whatever, but it's really, uh, th- that's kind of their one of their things is being able to go with the flow of whatever happens up there and make it look like it's part of the show or whatever. Yeah, and and I think I think the emphasis is that a hypnotist cannot make you do what you don't want to do, and and I know that I've um, had hypnotherapy, and uh-huh. I feel I feel like I'm fully in control of everything. I don't feel sure. that I'm that I'm under. I feel like I'm in control, yeah. and I can actually well, we, think about what I want to say. Yes. And absolutely, and that's a good point because we really do have that. Um, people are, are afraid that they're going to lose control or that they're going to be under our control or like that, and that's just not the case. We do want people mm-hmm. to uh, relax mm-hmm. feeling like uh, a need in control because uh, uh, if somebody's really trying to stay in control, then they're staying in the conscious mind, and that's not going to help us. So, you know, we want to relax that and achieve a different level of control, uh, which uh, is going to be a lot more productive. Okay. We kind of, that stay, makes... away from that, we kind of stay away from that term under uh, that you used because uh, that kind of implies that, you know, you're, uh, you, we use some sort of drug or that there's something weird going on. But it's like it, you're not under anything. You're just experiencing um, your reality a little differently. Okay. Okay. And um, I know that you do uh, different methods. You do regression therapy, um, repetitive body-focused behavior, resolving, um, smoking cessation. And you really like to emphasize on um, <clears throat> working with athletes. Yeah. Uh, to get in the zone so they can be more successful. So um, tell us how that works, how, how you can apply this to athletes. That's great. Uh, yeah, that's nice you bring that up because 
Uh, I do work with a lot of athletes. In fact, I'll be coming out with a book sometime after the first of the year uh, dealing with what you call the zone there. And it is focused more on athletes, but um, how how you and I, you might be in the what I would call the uh, – the broadcaster zone or something right now. So you, right. we all, we all experience different uh, 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 re- relationships to uh, trans experience in our world all the time. But okay. uh, yeah, I've worked with a lot of athletes and uh, you know, I might, uh, I might work with the uh, duffer down the street that's shanking the, his, his golf balls off the tee, or I might work with the, <laughs> professional golfer or I think more than anything I've been known for working with uh, cyclists and I've worked with a lot of cyclists who've gone to the Tour de France and to uh, the Olympics and 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 like that in fact I a couple two three Olympics ago I worked with all the male uh, uh, US cycling team and part of the female cycling team so uh, I've had a lot of experience with that. And and these are guys, now a lot of these guys are stationed out of Boulder, Colorado, but uh, they're all over the world, and I don't get to see them in person very often. So a lot of the work I do with these people is, uh, you know, over Zoom or even sometimes I just get a text message and go, help me with this or help me with that, and then I'll make a recording and download it to them. Uh, but it's exciting stuff, uh, working with all these different uh athletes and like that and it's it's different you know people go oh well you use visualization well yeah sometimes i do but that's i wouldn't even consider that my main tool when working with athletes especially elite athletes elite athletes got to where they were because they already were pretty good visualizers and sometimes i'm working with that one thing that one thing that's just going to give them that edge and that's what I tell elite athletes. I, I don't turn them into an elite athlete. They're already there. What I'm doing is give them that, that edge that puts them across the line a little sooner or uh, drops that ball in the uh, uh, in the pen or whatever, uh, you know, uh, to win the game. You know, it's that winning edge. What little thing maybe is holding them back? You know, with uh, – uh, somebody that are not in the real professional league but trying to move up, you know, we might have more work to do. But uh, a lot of these things are uh, – it's individual to each, each person I work with. There's no set way that I'm going to work with a client when they come in. You know, it's like I, I listen to each person and I create a strategy uh, for them. You know, sometimes it's programming we got in the past that says, well, you're never going to be a winner or you're never going to mount anything or things like that. So we have to overcome those issues, those barriers there. A, a really good example, and uh, and this is not somebody that had those kind of barriers, but uh, a cyclist that I worked with, uh, and I still see him from time to time. He's retired now, but he was in um, a bad crash at the uh, Tour de Georgia years ago and had a closed head injury and he was in uh, Craig Rehabilitation Center and seen me for some time and it it looked like this could be a career ending type of thing uh when I finished working with him and he got back on the cycle he became the national cycling champion that year so and he swears by the work that we've done so that give you some idea of you know kind of where we can go what I could work with a big range of things Right, exactly. You know, and if you can help um, athletes release these limiting beliefs uh, and negative messages that have been that put in them since childhood sometimes, uh, if you can help them do that, then you can help others who are suffering from situations where limiting beliefs are holding them back. Absolutely, absolutely. And and most of these things come from very early in our childhood. As as young children, we make decisions uh, that actually uh, are meant to protect us and probably do help uh, when we're little. But then later in life, they come back to bite us <laughs> in the proverbial rear end there. And, uh, and But those early decisions we make, 
are very powerful and they they're not always uh, easy to you know they don't make sense a lot of times of why am I acting this way you know because a lot of those things are not within our uh, uh, accessible memory and uh, and through hypnosis we can access those things and we can can make a, a change you know in my own childhood I was raised as the stupid kid and uh, and through hypnosis I was able to get beyond that you know and I did very poorly in school and dropped out of high school and but eventually I turned that all around and hypnosis was a, a major contributor to making that change so uh, that's just a, one kind of an incident that how those things can play into your life yes and you know my my expertise is in narcissistic personality disorder abuse and NPD is one of those things that you're talking about where we make a decision as a child that we carry through to uh, adulthood. Only they, it's not something that can necessarily be changed, but that is a very severe decision. And like you were saying, how powerful these decisions can be, can be as children that we then, you know, take into adulthood. So. I get that. I, I absolutely get that. So today we are going to talk about um, how to implement hypnosis into our New Year's resolutions. And resolutions, they're often about losing weight or getting more exercise or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the gyms are full after January 1st for about a month or two, and then <laughs> people just drop <laughs> off. Right. So, uh, you are exactly right. You are exactly right. And I'm pretty much of a gym rat. And us who go on a regular basis hate that uh, first few months of the new year because all the amateurs uh, are showing up and getting in the way. And yeah, then they all kind of disappear and things are back to normal again. But you're absolutely right. And people do. They make these resolutions and then it doesn't happen and the statistics uh, for joining a gym are pretty dismal the, the statistics say that most people who uh, join up and get a gym membership will drop out within the first 90 days now the good part of that is if you make it past 90 days your odds of continuing are much much better and so I think one of the things people have a goal in mind, you know, it's like, well, they want to lose a certain amount of weight or they want to achieve a certain level of fitness. You know, sometimes people, you know, their their favorite movie star or uh, somebody they see in the magazines or on TV has these six-pack abs and they go, man, I want, I want some of those six-pack abs. And they go to the gym and they, 90 days later, they look down and that six-pack is still hiding behind a keg. And they get discouraged and give up. <laughs> but those <laughs> those individuals who um, have those six pack abs, that's not something they did uh, in 90 days. It's it's a lifestyle choice that they've made. And we have to kind of think of this. We don't want to go into an exercise programming thinking, well, I'm going to achieve this goal, and then I'm going to go right back to doing the stuff that I was doing that got me to where I am. You know. So we have to. Uh, we have to think of these things, and diet falls right in with that. We have to think of these as lifestyle changes. Otherwise, we get into these yo-yo cycles. We get discouraged, and a lot of people just give up. And uh, so uh, it, it's it's important uh, that we think in terms, terms of hypnosis. Whether you come in and see me or even on your own, but the subconscious works in uh, habits or um, – um, uh, patterns and it uh, and it d likes to do the same thing over and over is what I would call the path of least resistance. It takes the easy path and it will do the same thing over and over. So the if, if we have ingrained poor habits in, like stopping at fast food uh, twice a day, uh, the subconscious will keep doing that because that's the easy route and it'll just keep doing that over and over. However, if we uh, ingrain going to the gym five times a week into the subconscious, that's a pattern that will continue as well. And once we establish a pattern, uh, it tends to just keep happening. 
and the greater frequency, the better. Like if we might meet our goal by going to the gym twice a week, but by going like five times a week, now we've really established that pattern a lot better and it's more difficult to, to break up that pattern and we'll tend to continue in a healthy way. But that's kind of our, our subconscious. That's what it likes to do. You know, we we like to go to the same restaurant. We like to sit at the same table. We like to take the same route to work. We uh, like to get our lottery ticket at the same convenience store. And all these things we keep repeating over and over, and we don't even stop to think about it. You know, well, maybe there's a better way to go to work, or maybe there's a nicer convenience store down the street or whatever. But we get in a, a routine of this, and the the subconscious keeps uh, repeating that same pattern, and it's part of who we are. It's part of our, uh, I, would, I would say, um, reptilian brain that uh, takes these because it was connected to our survival in some way. But now we have the ability to intellectualize these things and, and look at them and make a, a conscious shift. And I might say that's another place where we find difficulty because people intellectually, we know that we want to have a change occur. However, communicating that between the conscious and the subconscious is is not as easy as it might think you might think so uh, we have to start thinking about things uh, 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 differently uh, when I, when I, for instance when I have uh, weight clients come in to see me one of the first questions I'll ask them is uh, is there anything that you're doing that you know is working against you for instance maybe it's the wrong kinds of foods maybe the wrong amounts maybe you're eating the wrong time of day maybe not enough exercise maybe too many carbs or sweets or things like that. And everybody that comes in to see me knows what they're doing wrong. But knowing it doesn't cause the change because, uh, I mean, it's good that we that's a step in the right direction to realize in a conscious way what it is we're doing wrong. But that knowing it doesn't may impact the subconscious mind very much, and it takes a lot to do that. And that's where I come in. I make the whole thing a whole lot easier. It does help that when you come in, there's motivation change because I can help you. You know, there are people who come in. Well, I'll give you a good example. And this happens all the time, but this one woman stands out in my mind. A lot of times people come in and they have this whole laundry list of things that they've tried, especially like for weight loss. And this woman, she'd been to Jenny Craig. She'd been to Weight Watchers. She'd been to this program and that program. She had a whole bunch of things that she had tried. And I think Try, try would be the uh, operative word here because if she had really done any of these things, she'd have probably experienced more success, but she tried them, didn't like them, they didn't work. And one of the last things that she had, uh, quote, tried was uh, one of the weight loss pills that was popular at the time, and it could have been Metabolife or Hydroxycut or one of those that was being advertised around that time. And... Uh, I said, well, how did you like that? And she said, well, I didn't like it. And I go, well, what what didn't you like about it? And she said, it ruined my appetite. <laughs> now I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> but what she wanted and what a lot of people want, she wanted to continue in those habits. She wanted that appetite because she enjoyed uh, satisfying that appetite, just like a drug addict enjoys uh, satisfying their uh, cravings and urges. Uh, and she just wanted me to wave a magic wand and make the fat go away while she continued in her normal behavior and her normal patterns, which were things but not uh, really getting the job done. So uh, we, we have to be aware that uh, change has to occur and we have to be willing to do that. Now, with somebody like her, I have to work a little harder. I have to get her on board, you know, where somebody else, you know, they recognize what they're doing and they're willing to make changes. They're going to be uh, a bit more easy to work with. And so those are things that uh, keep in mind. When you go into your hypnotist's office, go in with the attitude that, hey, this is the thing that's really going to work for me. This is something uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do. And, um, and, and, all of a sudden, sometimes it can seem like magic. Uh, I, I'll, I'll be quite honest. Sometimes it just seems like magic, especially if you're on board. You know, if you're dragging your feet and like that, eh, 
and, and right now, we're at a time of year where a couple of things are working against us for weight loss. One thing, during the winter time, your body wants to hang on to any excess fat, extra fat, because uh, biologically we are in lean times, and it's a way that we're our our genetics is trying to protect us so that we have that little extra uh, fat to get us through. And back many years ago, that probably did uh, help us. But right now, lean times are no further away than the refrigerator. And <laughs> and that extra, hanging on to that extra fat isn't really working in our favor anymore. So it's the tendency to gain some weight uh, during the holiday season. But also there's a lot of temptation. We've got Thanksgiving feasts. we got Christmas feasts. we got New Year's. we got the Super Bowl. All these kinds of things right when our body wants to store that extra fat. So it's uh, easy to put on a few extra pounds this time of year, and that's why uh, a lot of people, when first the year comes around, they want to do something about that. And uh, now we need to change those patterns. It's also kind of good to know that as springtime and summer comes around, then the body becomes more um, amicable to letting go uh, of some of that extra weight. And so as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, about how so much of this applies to the work that I do. For instance, um, you're talking about how we can know something consciously uh, that we want to change, but our subconscious takes over and makes it very difficult to do that. And um, we talk about it with narcissistic abuse. We talk about cognitive dissonance where two thoughts, two thoughts collide and we tend to um, we tend to go to the path of least resistance, the one that's more comfortable. So it's very hard to change these patterns because you have your it's like a battle that your subconscious is doing with your conscious. Um, and I know that it's repetition and it is. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's constant work in order to change these messages. But it seems like hypnosis would be a great way to sort of, you know, change um, your thinking to a more positive way. Because when you've been abused by a narcissist, you have been programmed. You have been brainwashed. And you're thinking that you're and, – and this is similar, you know, when we talk about hypnosis and not realizing necessarily that you're under – um, it's very similar with brainwashing because you think you're thinking normally, but you've been yeah. reprogrammed, right? Yes. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah, tell us how hypnosis can work on um, deprogramming and reprogramming those who have been victims of this kind of brainwashing. Oh, great, yeah. Well, this is a favorite topic of mine, uh, and uh, you know, you you're talking about nar- narcissism, and uh, one of my big things that I like, well, that I do work with is uh, borderline personality disorder, which has a a lot of narcissism built into that, and it's a worse. lot of the same. <laughs> it's it, worse. It, it's, it's, uh, narcissism with steroids. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay. But, uh, yes, Uh, and under that, I don't know how familiar you are with all that materials on that, but what I have found is every every borderline personality disorder uh, person has um, abandonment issues somewhere down there underneath it all. And uh, and so those are some places to, to look at. Uh, always, I always look at doing a lot of inner child work and things like that. You probably do a lot of that yourself, I imagine. Um, yes. But there's a lot of things like that that play into it. But you were talking about cognitive dissonance and, um, you know, between choices and things like that but, and the path of least resistance. And I just uh, I just finished a book that probably, I don't know when it's going to come out because I've got a little tweaking to do, but and it's called The Path of Least Resistance, and it deals with, uh, cognitive dissonance is one of the main <laughs> things that I'm dealing with in there. Okay. And as Festinger would say, uh, 
um, we move, uh, we go from a dissonant state to a consonant state. So we're always looking for that easy thing, uh, which makes a lot of sense, and it probably has helped us a lot in, as we um, evolved back in the genetically. Um, but we can also cause that to work in our favor. In hypnosis, uh, cognitive dissonance is something that we use uh, more like a, a motivational tool uh, to move ahead. Or uh, sometimes it shows up in what we call uh, away motivation or toward motivation. So we create a scenario of dissonance, and then we create a scenario of consonance so that the subconscious can move into that consonant state. And, okay. and uh, so it, makes, it can make those changes a lot easier. And I, uh, frankly, I don't think many hypnotists realize how we are using cognitive dissonance or how we are using it to our uh, favor in hypnosis because we can cause that subconscious to take a shift uh, into a more consonant state and, uh, and make a big change from what we were doing. Um, and, and this would be uh, would apply prior to a lot of what you're doing because we get uh, in hypnosis, we can make a drastic change. If somebody had some horrible trauma, let's say like at two years old or whatever, and that's been affecting them, they may not have a, a recollection of what that trauma was. But in hypnosis, by revisiting that trauma and now creating another more positive scenario, that new scenario becomes how we view the world. And it's as mm. if that other never happened at all and uh, this sounds like phantasmagoria when you think about it um, in an intellectual way because it doesn't make sense uh, but the subconscious doesn't always make sense and we're doing right. things that don't make sense all the time right. and you're, ta you're, ta yeah, you're talking about like reframing you know um, reframing exactly. a situation exactly right right yes and it's a very uh, what I want to say a very high form of reframing right. um, yes and and a, and a person can just get up and walk away from that whatever it was in their life as if it never happened at all and uh it, it's amazing it's just it's just amazing but we can do it in simpler ways too like let's say i have a smoker uh there's a process that we can do where uh what we call the crossroads and I can take that smoker. If they continue to smoke, I take them down the road that leads off to the left, which would be continuing as a smoker. And we would. And this is the uh, Reader's Digest version of this, so don't try and do it on your home. But <laughs> okay. uh, if I take them down that left road and they continue in their behavior as a smoker, well, in six months, what's it like in two years or three years? And, you know, Somewhere they're going to be uh, on a breathing machine and all that kind of stuff. So that would create dissonance. And so then we go and we look at the right road. As a non-smoker, you know, what is their life like in six months and two years and so forth? And, you know, well, they're able to climb a set of stairs. They're able to walk their daughter down the aisle at her wedding and things like that. So we're taking that, that dissonant state and then we're giving it a uh, consonant state to move into which makes that a whole lot easier than just saying, don't smoke. <laughs> it's what we would call a transformational suggestion. When we give the, the mind a more positive experience to step into, it can do it. It's like if somebody uh, comes in for weight loss and I can sit there, well, you're 30 pounds lighter, you're 30 pounds lighter. But the mind, it can't build a model of that. But if I get them in touch with their lean healthy body when they're in high school or something now they have an image uh that they can step into and they can move toward and that would be our toward motivation or moving into that state of consonance it makes perfect sense it sounds wonderful so does hypnosis work for everyone 
You know what? It, it, it's working for everyone right now, and it may be working in a direction you don't want it to, but we're all we're always using hypnosis, and we're always affecting our subconscious minds and in, in many different ways, but a lot of times it's it's not working for us because we can't talk to the subconscious mind. You know, it's like I can say, I can be going around going, well, I want to lose uh, 20 pounds. I'm going to lose 20 pounds, you know, but the, the subconscious doesn't really respond to that. Uh, but there's other ways that we can we can talk to the subconscious mind, and sometimes that's going to be through images or how we word things. Um, my my book, the, the Power um, of Suggestion, is all based on how how do you say things to the subconscious mind to get it to respond in a way that you want it to, and that's where we as hypnotists come into because we're used to things in a way that's going to be more acceptable to the subconscious mind. If I want something, like I say, I want to be 20 pounds lighter, as long as I want something, using the word want is implying I don't have it. You know, I can want something forever. I can want a billion dollars, but wanting it doesn't create it. So we have to talk to the subconscious differently to get it to accept uh, what it is that we really want. Uh, that that change and we have to think of things as though they're in the present because everything is in the present to our subconscious mind and if I say well I will lose weight or I will stop and everybody does this at the first year I will lose weight or I will stop smoking but nothing happens because the will is like kind of putting it off into the future well someday i'm going to stop smoking and in the mind is is uh, really acceptable of that because in the mind someday never comes you know it's someday is always tomorrow and we don't have to worry about it today so that's kind of <laughs> so um yeah i mean and you and i think what you were alluding to that we're all being all under hypnosis right now is this subliminal programming that is happening through advertising the media the government so forth and so on we're all being affected by this on a subconscious level we're not necessarily yeah. aware of that right exactly and a lot of that is uh due to repetition you know uh if you're watching television uh, and a commercial comes on, how many times does that commercial repeat uh, their phone number or <laughs> they got yes. some stupid jingle that rattles around in your head and you hate that jingle, but it's still rattling around in your head. It still has you focused on their product and they don't care if you don't like it. They just want you to buy their product. And, and That's it, right. And, and, you know, and here, oh, we just had election time. And, you know, in your neighborhood, you might have noticed signs like vote no on 13, no on 13, and they're on phone poles, and they're stuck on people's yards, no on 13, no on 13. And who even knows what no on 13 is? But <laughs> they do. whoever's promoting that does know that if you see that enough and you show up at the polls and you see no on 13, you're liable to check that box. And <laughs> So what is no on 13? Well, um, maybe the people who are for no on 13 just had more money and more of those little signs to put up than the people with yes on 13. But we don't care. We got our agenda pushed through. So <laughs> that's a subconscious thing, and we see it, and we kind of follow it. And we don't always recognize why. Um, also, uh, you know, advertising is – they associate, you know, like um, they associate their product with uh, uh, pleasant scenes and things like that, which, oh, yeah, oh, I'd like to be at the beach and uh, eating a, a bacon cheeseburger <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And those things aren't good for us. So they associate those positive things with their product, which may not be good at all. And when it comes to pharmaceuticals, it's even worse because they cite – all these things that their pharmaceutical will do for you, in a sense, it's lying through emission because uh, they're not telling you that if, if you changed your diet or got more exercise, you wouldn't need their product, which would make a lot more sense. And 
and those uh, diet and lifestyle changes um, don't have come with negative side effects along with it. So, yes. <laughs> but uh, they want you to think that their product will uh, solve everything. Right, the you magic know, pill. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, you know, if you open a women's magazine, I don't if you ever see them. Look in a women's magazine and see how many advertisements, and I mean like full-page ads, there are for antidepressants and things like that, and they're just insane. And they're all, you know, making it look like they've got the cure, but none of these things are a cure. Um, and the reason I say that, if you take a pharmaceutical, it may, it may cause you to uh, be improved, no doubt about that. But if you stop taking it, do the symptoms come back? So you're not getting cured. What we're doing is just masking symptoms. And underlying that, there are other things to look at. You know, what what is triggering uh, the depression or whatever malady we might be dealing with? Um, I myself, all through junior high and high school, I suffered from extreme depression. And I didn't... You know, I lived in a dysfunctional family. There was no support for anything like that. And I thought I was crazy. Uh, I didn't know what was going on. Hell, I was a kid, you know. And uh, But one day, I just go, I'm done with this. I'm going to start feeling different. And I started separating myself from all the negatives in my life, which was my family and school and things like that. And I went on, and I did. I just walked away from it. And one thing that that did for me is, you know, I've had bouts of depression a few times since, but in the middle of that, I knew that I could turn it off. I knew that I could shut it off like a light switch, but I also, I would let myself have it for a while because I feel like there's that shadow part of ourselves that needs to get expressed once in a while, needs to get addressed. If we don't address it, then uh, it, it might show up in some uglier way. So I just, uh, you know, allow that to come, and that becomes mm-hmm. a writing experience for me or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, sometimes we need to, sometimes we need a limited pity party, you know. We need to just yeah. sink sink into it, you know. And I, and I, you know, I actually wrote an article about that, but, um you know, it's okay if you want to do that. Just know that, you know, at some point you're going to stop your pity party and then move on. But it's okay if you want to sit around and sleep and, you know, not to get out of bed or get out of your pajamas for a couple of days. And, and then, but you figure on Thursday, I'm getting back. I'm going back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So I, want, I wanted to um, also talk about, because I know that you do um, past life regression. And I've had it twice. Didn't work. Uh, mm-hmm. I even have. I even have Brian Weiss is. Um, uh, it's a CD that prepares you for it to help you get into it. I did that for months and months and months. I don't go there. Why is that happening to me? Okay, there could be some uh, uh, different reasons, and I'm familiar with uh, Brian Weiss and his stuff. Um, so a lot of times, and I don't know if you had something in mind, a reason, you know, that you were looking into a, a past life. I've yes. done, uh, you see, done a lot of past lives and then I, uh, had them on with me or with somebody else. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, one of the things I, people do, they'll come to me for a past life. And uh, when I talk to them about it, they'll go, well, you know, I think this issue is something that occurred in the past life. And when I talk to them, I'm going, I don't think this is something that happened in the past life. I think it happened in this lifetime. And mm. if if we go looking for it in a past life and the actual beginning of it was in this lifetime, what we do is we end up going on a wild goose chase and we might just chase our tail around and not much happens. Um whether it's past, I look at it more as a um, more of a metaphorical or symbolic kind of thing. And a lot of it has to do with how the process is set up. We 
to go to a past life ceremony is part of getting there. And uh, there are a lot of people who do past life regression who are doing what I call pseudo-regression. They're using a very leading process. You know, uh, if I say, see yourself being abducted by aliens, you can create that image. Or I can say, see yourself in a field of lilies. You can create that image. That is not the job of a good hypnotherapist. The hypnotherapist should allow you to find your own way there. Because now, even though a pseudo-regression may be helpful to the client, uh, it's it's not coming from them. It may it may not uh, be nearly as powerful as stuff that comes from them. But a past life is a way that we access information um, almost like uh, what we call ethereal uh, uh information or uh, Jung's uh, uh, collective consciousness and, and like that. Somewhere out there, this information is available to us, and a past life is one way that we can access that information. So a lot of it has to do with uh, your belief in past lives. A lot of it has to do with how application, you know, how it's being done. What is the ceremony that leads you there into this and your own ability to uh, activate your imagination. Uh, so, like I said, I've had uh, I've had some past lives done on me that were very profound, that really made some big shifts in my life. And uh, if we have a goal going into one of these, like there's something we want to resolve, and that thing is actually out there to be resolved, it can be huge. But we can also end up going on a wild goose chase or floundering around, and it, and it depends, uh, you know, how you're being guided. There's just so many aspects where you need a, you need a really good guide, uh, mm, okay. being hypnotist to kind okay. of take you through this. Right. Uh, there have been times when I've been in the middle of a past life regression with somebody, and it wasn't, and I just see you go. Go to the first time you had this experience, and boom, it's not back there in that past life where we were just looking. It is right right here in the current life. So I suggest that before you jump into a past life is look at what is it we're trying to resolve, and um, is it possible that it happened in this lifetime? Mm-hmm. Um, because let's not go on a wild goose chase if we can get just cut to the chase and get to the bottom of things. Uh, right now, so right. Uh, it it can also be a way that people deflect. A lot of times, people come in with an issue, and they say, "Well, this is a past life thing." One of the re- reasons they're doing that is because it's deflecting. It's deflecting mm. from who they are in the moment, and it's a way that they can uh, distance themselves from responsibility, and uh, so. If it's in a past life, it's almost like, well, it's not really me, but let's resolve this issue. But, you know, it it might be that it's really not in a past life. So mm-hmm. uh, I, right. I do a lot with past lives yep. than I used to because I deal with more issues, what's going on right now, you know, and we find out, oh, well, we don't really have to go to a past life to resolve <laughs> these issues. You know, um, the pattern, uh, the uh, issues that I've tried to access are – patterns that have been with me since I was, since I can remember uh, as a child and repeated throughout my life in many different ways. Uh, Feelings that I had, um, feelings that were brought up uh, with strange, under strange circumstances. So, um, you know, I really do believe that it was from the past. I've been told things about my past. Of course, I haven't seen them myself. What does it feel like to do a regret to, to be in a regression? Are you are you living that moment? Are you are you there? Yes, ideally that is the best uh way because in the subconscious we can access that and when you talked about those feelings repeating um that is a tool that we use to find out. So we call an affect bridge. So our conscious memory 
maybe has no recollection of where that feeling comes from, but it doesn't matter. If we have the feeling, we can use the feeling to get to the origination of that, what we call the initial sensitizing events. The things that you're talking about, things that bring those feelings up for you are what we call symptom-producing events or symptom-intensifying or, or symptom intensifying events. And um, and those happen along the way. And those are generally what people recall. Like people come to me and they'll go, I know exactly when this happened. I was in junior high school and blah, blah, blah. And what they're actually recalling is a symptom-intensifying event. Um mm. It, and what it is is whatever happened in that moment is intensifying a feeling that probably happened a long time ago. And a lot mm-hmm. of these things happen very early in life. You know, right now, you know, it used to be years ago, a lot of my clients were like smokers and things like that. And now the thing that comes to my door constantly is anxiety and panic attacks and it's like it's just like i can count on i'm going to have at least three clients for anxiety every day and then oh, yeah. the other things added in I there. Agree. yeah and I, agree. and I think it's a reflection a reflection of our 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 culture but mm-hmm. uh, but looking at this and i go back a lot of these things had a very early beginning and i ask about traumas early in a person's life things like that but one of the things that I hit on all the time is what was your birth experience? And were you on time, late, early, C-section, breach? Uh, were there complications? What was your parents' relationship like at the time? You know, if mom is stressed out, you know, maybe she had three or four miscarriages, and now here you're coming along, and she's totally freaked that this is going to happen again. And so you're picking up on all that stressed energy, and you're bringing it into the world with you. And now right. you're going around with anxiety all the time. And uh, yeah, I just had a client yesterday who um, her um, when she was born, and it wasn't like it was a dysfunctional family or anything, but her mother uh, had to get stitched up right away and had some. Uh, sort of infection or something, and her mother had to stay in the hospital for a year. So she hardly had any contact with her mother the first year of her life. And I'm going, uh, do you experience any abandonment issues? Oh, well, yeah. You know, it's like, guess what? So mm-hmm. there you go. And it's, it's the way with uh, kids who uh, have been adopted. You know, they go, well, I was adopted into a loving family and go, yeah, but you didn't bond. You came out of the womb and you never got a chance to bond, and now you're left with that. I mean, we become neurotic about that. If That's some of our strongest genetic programming is to bond with that woman. If we don't bond with her, I mean, that she's our protector, our nurturer. You know, without her, we're not going anywhere. And if we don't make that get that bonding hurt right off the bat, we get a little neurotic uh, later on in life. Yes, yes, that is so true. Uh, and the the in utero experience, I think, is largely responsible for. I I think that's responsible for uh, some of the issues that I have because I know my mother was, you know, out of her mind, crazy, and trying to raise two little kids at the same time when she had sure. me, and she. She had no ability to cope, no, you know, everything just went from one to ten and um, zero to ten. And, uh, you know, and there I was. So uh, I believe that, that, you know, a lot happened there. Mm -hmm. So true. I I mean, I hear this sort of thing a lot, you know, and I'll give you a a kind of a good example. This had to be, oh, God, 30 years ago, this gal came into me and she had anger. He said, I'm just angry all the time. She says, I don't know why. There's no reason for it. Uh, I've had a good life, but I'm angry all the time. And I I did a regression on her, and we went back to her. And, it, and she was one of these clients that you'd love to have because, boom, they just go straight to the source just about. You can't count on that, but uh, – and she's talking, and I'm going, boy, this sounds like uh, 
she's in the womb. And sure enough, yeah, she was. And her mother was going through something at the time. I forget what it was exactly, but her mother was extremely angry about something. And she picked up that anger, and she comes out of the womb pissed off at the world and (laughs) continues her life like that. It's not funny, but, you know, but, yeah, it's ironic. Yeah, it is. And, uh, and. Boom, she left, and it was just a one-session type of thing. And um, uh, several years later, this gal, she shows up in my office again, and she uh, had just gotten in a new relationship, and she wanted to do some stuff with that. And she said, you know, that thing we did around the anger, she said that was the greatest. I've never had issues since, you know. And, you know, a lot of times these people, they go off into the world, and you never hear from them again. But uh, Mm -hmm. you do want that, and it's, and it's great, but it's like there she was dealing with this anger all of her life. And who knows, you know, if we if we've got all this anger we're dealing with, it's and we we don't uh, take care of it, it's going to show up in some other way. Like it's going to show up in physical symptoms or whatever. And then now now here we are with this thing. You know, it's like we should. Uh, you know, I think if people realized how easy it was to deal with some of these things and move ahead. Uh, they'd be uh, more on board with it. They'd be re- re- less reluctant to come to somebody like me and um, mm-hmm. and 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 make a change. Because I tell you, sometimes it happens so fast and so easy. Uh, like for instance, I work with a, and you mentioned this before, body focused repetitive behaviors, and this is things like nail biting, skin picking, uh, hair pulling, or trichotillomania, and uh, oh, grinding your teeth, stuff like that. Uh, and I uh, I developed a method in very deep state hypnosis, what we call an Esdell state. And people come in. Uh, one thing that got me started doing this was a gal came in to me uh, many years ago, and I think she was 22 at the time, brilliant young uh, person. And uh, she came in with trichotillomania, and uh, we talked for a while, and I said, well, I don't see, a, you know, it doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. And uh, she she pulled her wig off. And she had oh. one, little tuft, one little tuft of hair on her head. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, and she was uh, she was uh, leading a trichotillomania support group. And uh, uh, pretty soon... Uh, she had everybody from that trichotillomania support group come in to see me. They all, everybody stopped pulling their hair. And then uh, she was a, uh, affiliated with a uh, national group. And uh, there was a, there were two, there was a group near DU here in Denver and another that she had. And then there was one in Boulder and one in Fort Collins. All of them came in to see me and they all stopped pulling their hair <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. So, so Drake, um, we're we're pretty much at the end of the show, and what I want to ask you is because you've made such a compelling, um, not argument, but a compelling. You've convinced us that this really is is good for all of us, and a lot of the people who are listening to my show are people who are harboring old stuff that they're just mm-hmm. frustrated with. So, um, you do work virtually. You do work over Zoom. Yes, yeah, like uh, two days a week I do uh, Zoom sessions. The rest of the time I'm in the office. Okay, and so how do we get in touch with you if we're interested in working with you? Okay, uh, you can uh, email my office at hypnodenver.com. Okay, and do you have a website? Yes, and I that will <laughs> – I'm a terrible computer person. Yeah, that will get you to the website, too, I'm sure. Okay. Okay. So say that again. Uh, HypnoDenver, H-Y-P-N-O, Denver.com. Perfect. That's very, very easy. Okay. Well, gosh, I mean, we made this hour go really fast. There was a lot to talk about. Um, And I am so grateful that you were with us today. And shift. It's, it, it creates a lot of hope in people that feel hopeless. Uh, you, you know, know that's and, really good. <clears throat> say, what that, were you saying? That is, 
I think that's a really good point you make. Yeah. So um, for those who are listening and feel like you're never going to get out of this, uh, here's your answer. (laughs) So so thank you, Drake. And um, have a wonderful day there in Denver. Uh, It's probably very cold, but enjoy the day. And um, I really appreciate you being my guest. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. I enjoyed it a lot. Good. Well, have a wonderful day. Take care. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at my new email address, which is randy at randyfine.com. Randy, R-A-N-D-I, at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. And have a very, very happy holiday season. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.